Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast as we start off March with another episode here, our first of two on the new week, and Sean Fitz and Tyler Donahue joining you once again. We had uh, some big-time guests last week uh, from our own 24-7 Sports Network, National Analyst Brian Doan was on with us on Friday breaking down those new recruiting rankings, talking about Penn State, Nittany Lions, recruiting efforts uh, across the country. Uh, Go back and check that one out if you missed it. And then the episode before that dropped earlier in the week, Brandon Short, former All-American, now on the Penn State Board of Trustees. We appreciate both those guests. We're going to shift back over, put some more focus and emphasis on that five-star mailbag because with the guests last week, didn't get to a lot of questions. Feels like we could uh, we could kind of put that spotlight on. So we've got three mailbag questions coming your way a bit later, and we're going to start off here, Sean. Uh, another offensive analyst has been added. Uh, a key component of something that we don't necessarily talk about a lot, but that's where Ty Howell was before he was promoted to the tight ends coach. And this is a somewhat familiar name for Penn State fans who've been following the program. Danny O'Brien, a former Big Ten quarterback, a former ACC quarterback with the Maryland Terrapins. Uh, he, he ended up spending time uh, with Wisconsin before the end of his college career. And now he ends up in Happy Valley as a member of this 2021 staff. Yeah, it's a blast from the past. If you're a Penn State fan that followed during the O'Brien years, uh, obviously Danny O'Brien had a ton of success right off the bat at Maryland, playing for James Franklin, of course, um, decided to transfer out of Maryland after a couple of years, um, and Penn State was on his radar. He popped up at a Penn State practice wearing a Penn State jacket, got everybody all hot and bothered about that one, and eventually went to Wisconsin. That was It's an interesting timeline because that was for the 2012 season, which obviously, um, you know, a, a legendary season in a lot of people's uh, books, and you wonder what would have happened had Matt McGloin not been the starter is it's a lot of revisionist history but at the same time uh, a name that should be at least on the fringes of being uh, recognizable to Penn State fans um, has popped up uh, went to the CFL after his college career was over popped up recently as a running backs coach of the BC Lions who announced on Monday that he would be joining Penn State's coaching staff obviously all 10 assistant spots are filled on the field but Penn State seems to be you know, going a little bit more Alabama here and stockpiling these analysts. Uh, Dow Loggins, uh, was, was added at the end of last week, as we said on, uh, uh, I think our last episode. Uh, Penn State's got a couple of other offensive analysts. Will Raymond, uh, is a guy that went to Mississippi State with Joe Moorhead. He eventually came back. Uh, he's your stats analytics whiz. Um, and then Ryan Roder, who was the, uh, the Giants, uh, uh, one of the Giants' offensive coaches was on the staff last year as an analyst. Uh, all four of those guys s- still seem to be around, at least. Um, um, and it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, sort of infrastructure on the staff continues to build out. There's only so much those analysts can do, but at the same time, you fill them with some bright football minds. They get their input. It's going to help Mike Yersich put in his offense and do what he can do um, to just get the feedback that he needs to 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 produce on the field. So it'll be interesting to see – 
how visible these guys are moving forward because the analyst roles kind of take a backseat to the assistant roles. But at the same time, we've seen production from them. We saw Ty Howe get elevated to the tight end spot. So uh, bringing in Danny O'Brien, who, you know, just in his first year as coach, he went from a, a CFL assistant to a Penn State analyst job. So he seems to be on some sort of trajectory. Franklin always been high on him, of course. And and all of a sudden, you've got, uh, you've got a nice little bank of offensive analysts. Yeah, O'Brien, 30 years old. Um, and so you know, another kind of, uh, you know, maybe a ride. Got a name in the coaching ranks. We'll see what happens now under the fold with Franklin reuniting several years, more than a decade later, uh, after their time spent together at Maryland. Um, and Sean, it's been a lot of tinkering. Some of the, the moves have been splashier and, and more financial investment, like an Anthony Poindexter uh, coming in last week. And then the others, you know, depending on your level of diehard Penn State fandom, you may or may not know that Kenny Sanders is a pretty darn big uh, reunion for them last Friday. That being confirmed, something we discussed in the podcast, and now we're seeing them fill out all these offensive analyst roles. And uh, now we're, what, two weeks away from seeing this team hit the field. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see it ourselves, but we're going to see photos and visual evidence and uh, get a chance to, to speak with players and coaches during the lead-up to spring practices. But uh, we're in March, Sean, and, and as you said last episode, March typically, except for 2020 as the major exception, means Penn State football is back on the practice field and sure looks like we're on track for that this time. We're getting some reports from these uh, assistant coaches about top performers and winter conditioning. Right now, that's just guys looking good in shorts and a t-shirt or a tank top and, and pulling tires or pushing weights around. Uh, but, but progress b- being made for Penn State and it looks like uh, there's going to be a major opportunity for the offseason that was so noticeably absent last year. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's refreshing to see because we kind of cut it off at this time last year. You went home for spring break and eventually never came back. And that's uh, you know you you wanted to get going. Penn State's going to get going on on Monday, March fifteenth, uh, at least with a normal what what appears to be a normal set of uh, of spring practices. So that'll be fun to track. The off season has been you know kind of quiet, and that's okay. We're, we you and I sat here brainstorming on this episode and you're like, what What are we going to talk about? And there's nothing to talk about. Now, granted, that might change in the hour or two as I edit this and put this up as as it has a couple of times on us this offseason. Um, but no, it seems like we're heading into that calm before the storm. You mentioned those those workout warriors. Uh, not a lot to take away from that other than some of these guys are, are here. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Um, there's motivation tactics there. There's, uh, you know, just sort of uh, adulation for, for players like walk-ons. You, you know, the guy that you forgot on the, the quarterback board a couple weeks ago, Mason Stahl, your quarterback of the day today. So you get these little things, you get walk-ons, you get scholarship guys. Uh, the, the funny ones to me are the positions like tight end where you've got like four guys and, you know, one walk-on, three guys. Theo Johnson just keeps popping up. Brenton Strange keeps popping up. And it's like, what do you do if you're Ty Howe? You just got to keep repeating it. But uh, that's kind of where you're at. John Lovett's been one of those guys for for the uh, uh, for the running backs. But no, it's been cool. We, we've had some, some off-season uh, winter workout stuff on our board. Um, continue to hear great things about uh, guys like Kalen King, who got here in January. Um, just uh, I know that's a crowded position, and it seems like Keaton Ellis still there um, at cornerback when we talked about him potentially moving to safety, but seems like he's still there. But Keaton Ellis is a guy that maybe can push for some early time. It looks like when you when you put him in the weight room, uh, put him alongside those guys, uh, it looks like he belongs, and that's probably the best thing that you could say about a January enrollee. You, you know, you're not sure. You know, it was, let's see this. You're eight months from putting him on a football field. So this is the best you're going to get. So if you think you can hang, you think you can catch up uh, athletically with some of those guys that are already in there, I think that's a good sign. 
Yeah, you want to see who responds to that wake-up call that is arriving on that college campus and then acclimating yourself with that lifestyle and what it's going to take to get on the field. For some, it is a stumbling block, and for some, uh, it's maybe a couple steps forward to take three, uh, a couple steps backward to take three steps forward by the end of that first semester on campus, and and that's why early enrollment can be so beneficial, and that's why it was so tough to see those guys lose a significant chunk of that early enrollment experience last year, particularly those fifteen spring practices that it looks like this group will get the seven early enrollees, and let's not forget the four scholarship editions, two walk-on editions via the transfer portal, guys that you're going to be counting on to challenge for starting jobs. Uh, there's a new new identity being formed for this locker room, for this roster. Uh, a lot of these guys went through uh, the walk across the coals in, in different ways last year, whether it's the 0-5 the start or just the, the stop-and-start nature of that preseason process. You'd imagine that would create some, some deeper-rooted bonds, but you also have to factor in there's 11 new scholarship players on this team. Some of them are senior eligibility. Some of them should still be in high school hallways. So a lot to work with and, and throw in the new coaches. And, and these weeks do matter, although we don't see them you know, in, in football uniforms quite yet for, for a couple more weeks. And Sean, on the recruiting trail, it's it's just you know it's something that we continue to discuss is uh, how is this all going to play out with the pause on the lengthy pause on on visits and and how's this going to play out with the building out your 2022 class and one name that has been on the the board for about as long as anybody we're talking about in the 2022 cycle is Nick Singleton uh, in-state running back the premier running back prospect in the state of Pennsylvania for the 2022 class and a guy who was one of the big risers in 24/7 sports rankings as you covered with Brian Doan on Friday you had a chance to catch up with him and, and Penn State, very apparent, they are prioritizing this young man. Well, you're prioritizing prioritizing him as an in-state guy, prioritizing him as one of, if not the top running back on your board. Um, there's just so many important things here, especially after Penn State skipped one in 2021, how apparent, uh, how, how important that position is to this class. So, um, this is a guy, obviously, you don't want to lose. This is a, this is one that's a heavyweight fight. Ohio State wants him. Notre Dame wants him. Alabama just offered last week. Um, you know, you can have that argument all the time about who, you know, d- does Alabama really want him? Uh, but Penn State wants him bad. They're, they're trying to make that notice. As I said with Stone last week. Haven't really felt the, the warm and fuzzies on that one, but it seems like Penn State's starting to make a little bit of progress there. Um, this is the, the way that they're going to go for this is kind of a wheelhouse type recruitment in that he's a Pennsylvania running back. Who who have Penn, who has Penn State's most successful running backs been over the la, over the Franklin era? It's Saquon Barkley uh, from Pennsylvania. It's Miles Sanders from Pennsylvania. It's Journey Brown from Pennsylvania. So. I mean, they, they've got a lot of ammo to work with this one. It's about bringing him around, bringing the family around and doing what they can, uh, to make him see that, that, that this could be the place for him. But, um, it'll be an interesting, uh, journey for him. He wants to, uh, no pun intended there, but it, 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 it's one of those things where he's a guy I think is talented enough to wait out this dead period or wait out till the end of this dead period and then eventually go make visits. As you and I were discussing offline, that's not necessarily the case for everybody. I think we've tried to hammer this home as of late because it really looks like these recruits are smartening up. They're trying to figure out what's the best course of action. And right now, the best course of action might be, hey, just hopping in there and getting your spot. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much verbatim what I heard earlier this week. And and, uh, for a story on Julian Humphrey that I put up online, a really impressive four-star cornerback out of the Houston area in Texas, 
185 pounds, a guy who could maybe play safety, but you like him at cornerback in a lot of ways. It's very apparent based on the conversation with him that Penn State, despite the the lack of proximity, despite not getting face-to-face, and despite not having a, a realistic opportunity to get him on campus anytime in the foreseeable future, they're in the thick of this conversation. Now, he has five teams in play. Uh, Southern Cal is the other school that he has not visited out of that top five. He has been to LSU. Um, he has also been to Texas A&M, uh, which is a big one because uh, certainly it's an in-state option on the table uh, for Humphrey. Um, and and I'm, I'm totally whiffing on the on the fifth school that, that he has been to. That That's also in this top five. But um, you, you get the sense that Penn State is really right there in the conversation. And you also understand that this is not the finish line. To your point, lock in the spot and then see where the NCAA takes the process from here. By the way, that fifth school, Arizona State, has also hosted him over the course of this recruitment process. So Arizona State, LSU, A&M, Penn State, Southern Cal. And I think there's a case to be made that, that Penn State – um, it is in the conversation of the top two or three here, Sean. I think Texas A&M, although there's no crystal ball uh, predictions made to this point, it's hard to, to kind of push against them as being the front runner a, a month out from his decision. He's going to announce on April 1st. And as I covered in the story, um, to him, the important thing is, look, if official visits pop up and he expects them to, I'm still going to go make them. Like th- This is not a commitment that represents uh, signed, sealed, delivered, and I'm going to the school and, and there's no question questions asked. And I think this is kind of what we've addressed a lot on the podcast is James Franklin and his commits, James Franklin and their targets. When you have these conversations right now about what happens when the NCAA gives this long awaited green light, is your staff prepared and is your prospect and, and, and their parents, are you all going to be on the same page about where things stand? Because they may say, hey, I'm glad to be in this class. I, I want to be a Penn State Nittany Lion, but I got to do right by myself give myself an opportunity to explore campuses. And then that's, you know, again, I called it a fork in the road last episode. Whatever team he commits to here and talking about Humphrey is going to face that fork in the road because he was pretty adamant. A commitment is coming in April and then multiple official visits are coming whenever he can take them. Yeah, there's a certain amount of leverage that a, that a staff will hold over a player that when, when they're committed, um, you know, you have that talk, you say, okay, we don't want you to take visits, but I mean, you take a look at the reality of the situation. These guys, when when the lockdown went into effect, obviously sophomores in high school, many of them, most of them did not have the the opportunities that they have now, um, especially with the number of offers that are going out, which is just crazy. Um, but uh, a guy like Humphrey, that's an interesting one because he's got the options at home. Not all these guys have the options of those big schools close to home. A&M, to me, is the team to beat there. I think Penn State is probably the other team in this one. Um, but a and going to be quite a hurdle, especially for a kid in Texas. So uh, that that's probably what's interesting to me is you're going to see some guys lock in some spots. Um, some of them might be close to home. Some of them might be far away. And, of course, you know, logic and nature is going to tell you that the ones that are close to home probably have a, an easier time sticking there. So that will be an interesting storyline. But, yeah, it's, it's sort of about – setting yourself up, getting yourself there in the paddock to uh, to run the race eventually. And that's not going to start until the end of May. So, it would be very interesting to, to follow this entire cycle because like last time, it's a fragmented cycle, whereas that cycle was open on the front end, closed on the back end. You got this one, which is closed on the front end, open on the back end. And that just could 
the cause for all hell break to break loose. I think so. I, I think it's more problematic in this case because there's just not a lot of groundwork laid. I mean, I don't know how much firm footing you can establish through FaceTime calls and through virtual tours um, and then never really taking that next step and, ex- and trying to find yourself in a position to announce a pledge. Whereas these, you know, the, the last class of 2021 cycle, at least they, you know, before their junior years of high school, they were able to get to camps. They were able to kind of show what they could do. They put a junior year of, of, of highlights together. And that's a key year to see where you're at from a physical assessment and an athletic assessment and the strides you're making. Um, and, and you've probably already been to campuses from the programs that I've offered you. I mean, a lot of these kids, they have, you know, blown up with the offers during the pandemic. And then, so what do you do with that? And, and this is an example because Humphrey's a guy who got his Penn State offer, uh, in, in January. He said conversations were going on, you know, back into late 2020. Um, but says that Penn State is in communication with him as much as any school, if not more that than this point. It's Terry Smith, James Franklin's involved there. He's got a virtual tour coming up with the program this week. And so again, he's a name that, April 1st, if he puts on a Texas A&M hat or puts out a tweet that he's going to be an Aggie, still could see him on campus here in Happy Valley, whether it's for a game in the season, if that's possible, in the summer, if the NCAA restructures its approach for the calendar, we'll see. But but this is by no means over, and I think that's something to keep in mind with really every commitment you're going to see, uh, whether it's a kid going to Penn State or going elsewhere. There's an open-ended nature to this process that you can't ignore and you can't treat it like you would a routine cycle um, that we have become accustomed to in the college football that predated this pandemic. I just wanted to circle back to running back, Sean, because there's a new offer out there, Dalen Hayden out of the Memphis area. His dad was a Tennessee volunteer running back uh, who went on to play for a few years in the NFL. Um, but he had Tennessee in his top four. He announced that on New Year's Day. Also had Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oregon. Recent reports from 24-7 Sports uh, essentially ruling out Oregon as a major contender in this recruitment. Ohio State signed those two top 100 running backs in the last cycle. What does that do to the situation? And Notre Dame has since added a four-star running back to its 2022 class. So Penn State throws its hat in here. It feels a little bit late because a lot of the names that we've been discussing at running back have been on the Penn State board for so long. In many cases, sophomore, going back to even freshman years of high school, Here's a new offer, and it's with a kid who already put out essentially his four finalists, but the dynamics have evolved in two months. I, I don't know what message this sends, but to me, it very clearly shows that that J1 Sider and Penn State are continuing to cast that broad net because we're running out of room to write down the names of all the running backs that, that are worth at least mentioning at this stage of the cycle and what we ex- expect to really maybe be that multi-position, a multiplayer position class after not grabbing a high school player last cycle. It's it's funny to me that these situations pop up so often where a guy puts out a list and then all of a sudden you see a team, a fairly large team like a Penn State, like an Alabama, something like that, come in behind it with uh, with an offer. And it's funny because it, there's almost a little bit of a window there where you can say, well, we didn't think you were considering us, so you didn't offer. And then you put this list out and we see that you're, you know, doing this, doing that. And we, you know, we're going to try and get in it now. And it's almost like, hey, you cut all these other teams. Now consider us and then put us up, up against your four or your five. It, I won't call it ingenious. It's also, it's kind of a different way to look at it. Um, but it's, it's pretty smart from that aspect to say, okay, I'm no longer, 
considering these 20 schools. Okay, well, I've got a new school to consider. I've got fresh eyes on this. I got a chance to look at it. So that's that's always kind of funny how that works. And I've seen it in the last week, probably two or three times where schools just will swoop in after a cut has been made, a significant cut has been made, and then all of a sudden it's a new scholarship offer. So I think that's the thinking behind that. But yeah, with with running back, they're just going to keep throwing them out there. Um, and as you mentioned, you mentioned some of the schools in there, uh, Notre Dame, uh, Ohio State, those are two schools prominent on the on the list of Nick Singleton. So you're going to see a lot of overlap, especially at the top of the board with with some of these running backs across the country, and that is something that can play into that as well. And, and Notre Dame also now in that in that conversation with Drew Alar, and and if you have been on the Lions Pride message board up on Lions twenty four seven, you've noticed that crossover between Notre Dame recruiting and Penn State recruiting has generated quite a discussion on the message board, and I think that's going to continue as long as these uh, recruiting battles sustain. It's it's remarkable um, the fact that no one's going to any campuses. None of these coaches are seen in person, and yet y- you've got this competition that just continues and pressing forward on the recruiting trail um, with some of these schools year after year, uh, regardless of circumstances. Uh, we're going to come back, finish up with a few mailbag questions. We're going to get to some of these fun topics right around the corner. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mailbag questions away, but I cut Sean a little short on some commentary he wanted to offer up on our recruiting conversation on the last side of this break. So we talk about the commitments and then it not stopping the coaches from going after him. And that's typically what we see in in the recruiting process. But I I think it's worth noting that – in this particular cycle, the kids are so much more open to it than we usually see. So you've got guys like a, you know, a, a Jordan Humphrey that's going to commit, but also going to leave that door open and basically going to say, Hey, I'm committed, but I'm still listening to everybody. And, you know, some, some prospects will do that from, from year to year, but not overwhelmingly, uh, or not overwhelmingly open about it. I think we're going to see that more in this cycle. So when guys commit elsewhere, like I said, some of those, especially if they're closer to home, probably going to stick, but you're going to see a lot of that, uh, not, not a lot of the flipping, but a lot of the, the flirtation afterwards. So I think it's worth noting that this will be a situation on both sides where both recruit and coach are open to that recruitment continuing after the original commitment. Whereas sometimes it's just kind of the coach saying, Hey, come on, continue to, to, uh, uh, to consider us. And the recruits like just kind of, uh, patronizing them and saying, okay, that's great. We, we like to hear. So I think it's, it's important that we, we discuss that aspect as well. Maybe that mythical flip. Uh, season that we expected to happen last year when the NCAA allowed visits and never happened, never opened that door. Maybe that ends up coming to fruition later this year with a different cycle after all. Um, we'll have to stay tuned for that. 
we have some mailbag questions to get to. Uh, we have not been ignoring the mailbag, but we've had some great guests that have consumed a lot of time here on the show. Um, so we have a little extra time here, so we're going to pay a little extra attention. And we'll start with this question. With constant change at offensive coordinator for Penn State lately, how does it make the most sense for the program to sell its offensive plan to recruits? Three offensive coordinators in three years, Sean. Going back to Moorhead, four offensive coordinators in five years, if my math is correct there. Yes. So this one is just a clean break from the old system. And it's not necessarily saying that it's going to look, uh, you know, ton from us, a, a, a bones as a skeleton aspect. Um, but you could just say, okay, well, Sean Clifford and Will Levis ran the hell out of it last year with the quarterback draw. I'm not going to do that. We're leaving that all behind. We're completely changing everything. We're leaving that in the dust. What that does is gives you some sort of hope, some sort of momentum that we talk about all the time about the new coach bump and the impact that that can have on certain recruits. Well, you can have that for a coordinator in the sense that, hey, this is a lot more exciting. This is a lot more, this is a lot different than what I saw on the field last year. And I guess what I saw on the field last year is just an anomaly. And I don't have to pay attention to that. So, whether that's true or not, you have the opportunity to sort of, sort of recycle your image and change things very quickly. So I think that that's probably the most important thing. I was talking to Nick Singleton a little bit ago. I said, how much does that change? Uh, how much does the coordinator change it? He says it changes a lot. You've got this, uh, and, and you know, and you, the listeners know, I think a lot of Kirk Chirac, and he's a very smart guy. I think he's a, a good play caller that obviously did not come together last year. And, you know, it can, both sides can be true on that. Um, but you've got this, uh, this sort of stigma that he's probably not a big time coordinator. You see Mike Yersich, you've seen that he's been at Ohio State, been at Texas. You have that sort of aura that he is a big time coordinator. He's put up big time numbers. Um, and that's something that that certainly can help. So it can be a new coach bump situation. It can be a situation where you can sort of flip this and say, okay, Everything that we used to do, we're not doing that anymore. We'll take elements of that. We'll do what Saquon did. We'll do what Miles Sanders did. We'll do what uh, Mike Kosicki and and Pat Fryermuth did. So we'll take all. We're, we're going to still do the good things. We're just not going to do the bad things anymore. Now, obviously, that's kind of uh, uh, a black and white way to look at it. That's not completely true, and it's a lot of its sales. But uh, yeah, you've you've got the opportunity to accentuate the positive, get rid of the negative, and and bring more positive into it by saying, hey, this guy's a, a big time offensive mind. You're going to want to play for him. It's like, you know, pay no attention to the quarterback concerns behind the curtain. Look at this. Uh, look at these running backs. Look at these tight ends. It's that's the thing here is the quarterback pedigree that Penn State has not been able to produce. Uh, you know, Trace McSorley, a record setter here. We'll see what he does in the NFL. Uh, I, you know, there's he falls late in that draft. You know, he, he gets a little opportunity this year, but. Christian Ackenberg, nothing materializes for him at the NFL level. Uh, it just there, there's not a lot to point to at that position, and it feels like deja vu where you're trying to settle these recruits. We talked about this last year. It felt like you know don't pay too much attention to what you saw most recently from Penn State on the football field. Pay attention to the track record of this new offensive coordinator. Pay attention to the resume and the quarterbacks who are listed on it of this offensive coordinator. At the end of the day, you're, you're going to want to get the evidence with this coordinator matched with guys wearing a Penn State uniform. Your first opportunity to do that will be in September. Um, but that, that starts at quarterback. I think, you know, the, the, the conversation is a little bit different at running back, at wide receiver, at tight end even. One thing I think Penn State can point to with these recruits, because you don't want to go, you know, you're talking about guys who are the focal points of their offenses. They've been that way since they picked up a football six years old. In a lot of ways, if we're talking about power five talent, it's tough to convince a kid to say, 
Come to campus. We'll tuck you away for two seasons. When you're a junior or a redshirt sophomore, we'll plug you in. We'll find a role. These guys want to be able to play right away. You're not going to promise playing time as a true freshman, but you're going to promise that the door will be open if they go and they seize the opportunity. And I think there's a lot of really good ways to sell that vision at, at running back. They've been they've shown the willingness to play the true freshmen. You know, you you saw two uh, guys burn their red shirts in 2019. Noah Kane came on real strong. Uh, even the year before, although his career did not materialize, Ricky Slade put together a nice freshman campaign as the primary backup to Miles Sanders. And then this past year, your leading rusher because of injuries, because of other circumstances, ends up being a true freshman and, and Kevon Lee. So. You throw in the two wide receivers who started as freshmen. Fat Fryermuth started as a freshman. Um, the door is open uh, for an initial impact. But um, and to me, you know, you're talking about that quarterback position. It's just a different dialogue than, than when you're talking about other spots on the field. Because this offense has produced top 50 picks at running back. Two of them at tight end, probably two of them when Pat Frymouth is added to Mike Kosicki. And then at wide receiver with K.J. Hamler and, and you've got Jahan Dotson back. There's names there. To me, Sean, so much of this starts and ends with with finding the right quarterback fit and then producing that on the field in the fall. Quarterbacks want to go to schools where when they turn on ESPN or they turn on Fox or they turn on CBS, they're watching that brand of football represented by a player at their position, putting up big numbers, generating NFL buzz. The numbers have maybe been there over the course of James Franklin's career with Trace McSorley doing big things. But you've never had that this guy is going to translate to the next level as a big-time quarterback buzz at that position. And and Yursich is maybe somebody who can generate some of that. We know he seems to be hitting the ground running on the recruiting trail. Well, we've seen that from from other uh, programs over uh, across the country is you bring in a new guy, sort of wipe the slate clean. That's the biggest thing you can do with the quarterback room right now, uh, especially after the offseason transfers. And you say, hey, this is this is going to be open. I want my guys. I want to bring in my guys. I know we've got Bo Perbula, who's a really good quarterback uh, commit, but I want my own guys. Drew Alar, I'm going to go to you. Nick Evers, I'm going to go to you. We're going to see what we can do and, and, and try to make the most of it. So I think that that whole – I mean, just – accentuating what you've done in the past and, and turning it into a positive situation is what you can do uh, from the offensive side. I don't, I don't think it's really about, uh, you know, X's and O's come here, play this position, you'll get this many touches, etc. It's about just sort of wiping off the stigma of, of what you saw last year and the negative that you've seen in the last couple of years and say, Hey, we, there's no reason Penn State can't be an offensive powerhouse. And like I said, there's a difference between saying that to a recruit and, and putting that out there for, for everybody and, and, you know, raising those expectations. Um, but I mean, that's part of the sales pitch. Yeah. And, and so it, it is a little bit of a blend. And I know that's a term that scarred people from last year, but it's kind of what you're doing on the recruiting trail. You're blending your strong suits. Some of these offensive playmakers that have, have impressed at other positions and done so early in their careers, and you're trying to kind of tamper down what has transpired with the quarterback position. And it's it's a tightrope walk, and, and you've got a new offensive coordinator that you're trying to do it with for a second consecutive year. So uh, whatever that sales pitch is, there's a bunch that we just throw at the wall, and we'll see what sticks for Penn State. 
And I, and I got to point out something. So we're doing this podcast in the afternoon on Tuesday and my, my kid gets home at three o'clock and Tyler, I left when I let uh, my, my kid was at my front door. I got the, the notification. Somebody's at my front door. Tyler was making his point on that offensive thing, uh, on the offensive question. And I was downstairs getting him settled and I come back and I expected him just to be waiting for me and he's still talking. So I don't know what you said in those four or five minutes that you talked, but that's, that's some high quality professional talking right there. That was impressive. <laughs> professional talking, professional. Professional BSing. I think there's a few different labels for it, but we, we got there. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the, the, the drop off went well and we can continue with, this, with the questions here from the mailbag, Sean, because we've got a couple more to get to as promised. Let's jump into the next one. What is a storyline that stands out to you from the 2020 recruiting class that hasn't really been in focus much yet? To me, this one opened up to some imagination and, and I took from it, Sean. Uh, steer clear of the Parker Washington and Kevon Lees of the world and the Theo Johnson stuff, things we've talked about. What are some more off-the-beaten-path storylines from that 2020 recruiting class? In my mind, right away, went to the Lackawanna pair that Penn State signed. Second consecutive cycle that they brought in two products from that junior college program. You love what you've gotten out of Jaquan Brisker and what the stage is set for him as a bonus year senior jury is well out on uh, on on what Anthony Wiggins career at Penn State is going to be remembered for uh, to this point we're still waiting to see an on-field uh, action from him um, make his move on that offensive front but these two players on both sides of the ball Jair Brown at safety Norvell Black at, at wide receiver either one of them could be an x factor for you because we've been focusing on you know the quote-unquote veteran receivers Daniel George Cam Sullivan Brown didn't come together for them last year, uh, surpassed by freshmen. Is it going to happen now? Are, are they destined for the transfer portal? Are they going to stick around and be backups? What about Norvell Black? This is a guy who who is a, a fourth-year junior because of the circumstances, so he pretty much got a red shirt last year. He maybe needed that from a physical standpoint, um, but you know, if you can get something out of Norvell Black at wide receiver, that's a name that we haven't really bounced around much. We've talked about some of the true freshmen, Alani White or Liam Clifford. Talked about a guy like Malik Mega in year number two. Can, can he kind of translate that athletic pedigree onto the football field, that receiver? And then Jair Brown. I mean, boy, would it be big time if he's able to step up for you and solidify things at safety because his former teammate and his current teammate, Jaquan Brisker, those two, there's a bond in place there. They've played together. Uh, there's a trust factor there that's important at the safety position. But nothing that you saw from Jair Brown and his snaps last year, and they weren't really that extensive, but they were they were here and there. Nothing necessarily screamed, this is your 2021 starter at safety. But you look around that room, the younger guys, the older guys, Jonathan Sutherland in that conversation as well. Nothing screams starter about anybody uh, beyond Jaquan Brisker. Yeah, that's going to be the, one of the storylines all the way up through camp and maybe into the first month of the season is is what you've got opposite Brisker there. And I think Brown factors into that race. I think probably Sutherland's the guy that you look to now as the, as the potential starter. Um, but that's, you know that's written on paper and pencil. You know, that's, uh, that's really not something that you can you know, lean into and say, okay, and come August, that's that's the way it's going to be. Um, so, I'm, I'm curious to see what Brown can do. I think Brown will have a bigger impact than Black. Uh, you mentioned Black uh, needed a red shirt year and obviously n- nobody red shirted last year, but he needs that year in the weight room probably maybe more than anybody in the program. And that's, uh, that's you know, a bit concerning when you talk about a guy that's coming in as a junior as, as opposed to a guy that's coming in like a Jaden Dotton who, you know, a 
course, needed some physical, uh, uh, you know, building as well as a true freshman. So you've got those guys that are sort of on different planes, but they still need the same thing. And so I'm, I'm curious to see if he does have an impact. We talk all the time in the preseason, now or never guys. And, and we talk about the, the talent that they've brought in at receiver, the, the, uh, instant impact that guys like Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert Smith had last year. And you just wonder if it's, if it's going to come together for Norval Black. So I think those, uh, that's probably a, a, an overlooked storyline. I, I as, again, I tried to, or I tend to side with Jair Brown having the bigger impact, but I also look at, at safety as a huge question mark, you know, whether he has that impact or not. Um, an overlooked storyline from 2020 that I'm looking at. So you signed six defensive linemen, uh, I guess seven, we'll count Zariah Fisher in there, um, in the class of 2020. Brandon Taylor is gone, uh, but you obviously need to restock up front and see what's going on there. I think the guys that I'm looking to, because I is played uh, a little bit at the end of the season. I mean, Vanover played a little bit at the end of the season. I think those are two guys physically that can make that jump to sort of be kind of contributors this year. Um, be interesting to see how they play Vanover as he, you know, was playing a little bit of end, playing a little bit of tackle, but. Uh, we know the numbers at defensive tackle are a little bit inflated right now. So you got to try and figure out if you can get one of those guys to play some big end for you, some five technique where you can, you know, play eventually against a, a, an Iowa, a Wisconsin, a team that runs, likes to run the ball. Um, so maybe get a little bit bigger at defensive end, but still sort of fluctuate between the interior and on the end. So I look at those defensive linemen and say, what can you get out of them as, as redshirt freshmen? Of course, you know, you saved a year with, uh, with a guy like Smith Vilbert as well. Um, he was in the 2019 class, but at the same time, um, they're kind of all stacked on top of each other. Will you get Cole Brevard to, to contribute right away? I don't know. Uh, Fatuma Mobile is kind of in the same camp. You're just not sure where they're at in their physical development. Uh, Mobile had a little bit further to go, uh, from a, rev- you know, refining his game standpoint there. And then, of course, we talk about Bryce Mostella a bunch. And, you know, he's a guy that obviously is, you know, in the process of, of redefining himself physically. And then that game's going to have to come along. So I can see kind of like receiver last year. I can see guys like, uh, Kaziah Izzard and Amin Vanover as guys that are ready to contribute right away. Whereas some of those other guys might still be another year or two away. And I, of course, always curious about how Zariah Fisher is going to fit into this, uh, played linebacker last year. We expect him to be a defensive end, uh, reported that on the, in the off season now. So, and I'm a big Zariah Fisher fan, as you know. Um, so, so hopefully he can give them something because they're going to need it at defensive end. They're going to need it. And the trenches in general, there, there was so much attention paid last season and, and deservedly so at the skill positions on offense with that freshman class because of what you got out of the receivers, what you had to get out of the running back position because of what happened with that depth chart, the emergence of some of those tight ends late. The offensive line as well, just just keeping it there on the, the line. I won't go down that road, but that's a five-man class as well. That's a big offensive line class that you signed in 2020. Um, Obu Fashano, uh, you know, seems to be the guy that that projects most favorably on the two deep going into the spring. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with that entire group. You don't necessarily have the need for a rotational role there like you do on the defensive front. You'd hope that there's going to be some out-of-conference games. Um, Auburn's not really going to help you much there, you wouldn't imagine, but where you're going to get a chance to, to to go a bit deeper down the depth chart, explore what you've got, maybe that's going to be the first chance to get run for some of those offensive linemen. Um, but, but really in the trenches, a lot of question marks on both sides from that freshman class going into year two. Uh, we're going to go third mailbag here, which we, we ne- really never do. But as we said, we've kind of uh, been light on the mailbag of late. 
And, and here's one that ties into what you just mentioned about Zariah Fisher, although starts off with completely hypothetical. Uh, which current Penn State players do you think would have a chance to be successful at another position? Uh, not hypothetical because you reported it earlier in the offseason with Zariah Fisher, uh, linebacker year one, defensive end year two. Uh, Keaton Ellis is something that, that you've also uh, discussed as well. Um, maybe looking at a safety transition, if that's what you need from a personnel standpoint. Still working with the cornerback from what we see. Um, this kind of takes me back to our 11-man football team draft last year, Sean. Guys, where you, you need to get contributions on both sides of the ball. I'm going to stay in that cornerback room because Keaton Ellis, I still think he could play wide receiver at this level of football if that's where his focus was. And I would say the same thing about Marquise Wilson also in that cornerback room. Those two guys with their ball skills, uh, I think I think either one, if they showed up to campus and it was, you're going to play receiver, we're gonna that's going to be your focus. I think they could become successful at that position uh, at really the highest level of college football as things went on. Yeah, and you look around the roster. We did that eleven man draft, which you you know I just found. So I appreciate you talking uh, long enough where I could actually find that. You you've seen some guys that which have played you, which, two ways. Which you got the vote for? Yeah, yeah well, obviously. <laughs> um, but you you look at guys that could play both ways, and and I, I'm looking at spots where you maybe need a guy to play a different position more so than you know putting a Jaquan Brisker at receiver or putting you know flipping like you did with with some of those guys over. Um, Brenton Strange is a really really good football player in the sense that. You know, if you put him at defensive end, and they're not going to do that because obviously he's a starter at, at tight end. I, I think he's just a, a, a tremendous all-around guy. Just kind of gets it. And you, you've had players that have come through like that before, where you know you could flip them, and, and tight end and defensive end are always reflexive in that in that sort of way. Um, but I like Brenton Strange a lot as a football player, and I think you kind of saw that with the way that he established himself as the backup this year, passed up Zach Kuntz and was able to to get out there. I just think he's got a natural nose for for playing the game. Some guys have it, some guys don't. And we probably undersold Brenton Strange on that a little bit coming out of high school because of where he came from, because of the competition that he played. But, you know, this is a guy that can go out there and get you some sacks if he needed to. So um, I, I'm looking around. Uh, Daniel George is always a guy that I'm That's where I was tremendously go intrigued by. Um he just looks like a monster type weak side linebacker, maybe even a safety. Um, I don't think that, I don't know that he has the mentality to do so, but we talked about that during his recruitment as a guy that could potentially physically fill that role. Um, I'd like to see it based on where he's at on the depth chart, based on where he's been at. Um, you know, he hasn't been a consistently catching the football. Um, but I, I would love to see if we're doing a, fantasy draft of guys that you would love to see at a different position. I think he would be right up near the top of that list. And I think, to be honest with you, I think some people in that building feel the same way. I mean, James Franklin mentioned on signing day back in December 2017 while discussing Daniel George that they felt like he was a guy who fit the profile of a Power 5 caliber safety prospect. And when I went down to Oxon Hill High School just about three years ago to, to this day, uh, quite frankly, uh, to meet with Daniel George before he enrolled and, and, and speaking with some of the members of that coaching staff at Oxon Hill – they referenced that. They were like, this, this is no joke. This guy could play defensive back at the next level. He wants to be a guy who gets the ball in his hands. He thinks receiver's his spot. Um, now, at this stage in his career, Sean, he's still got three years of eligibility. That, that's a lot of football still to work with. I, I know at this point in that wide receiver room, he seems like the guy who's been around forever because of how much turnover there's been there and how much the youth movement has impacted things. Uh, but he's got a lot of football to play. Maybe that's a maybe that's something that he's got to to 
have a conversation with himself, with his family. Um, he's got a spring ball uh, with, with Taylor Stubblefield ahead of him at wide receiver. I'm going to be very curious to see what Daniel George's outlook is within this program, within that position room, exiting spring camp. I th- and I could probably throw in the same thing with Cam Sullivan Brown about where where those guys are. Um, he's got limited limited more t- limited time, and, and and I just think you know Daniel George. I do see that kind of ceiling. Um, I, again, mentality that's always a question mark. Can, can you play safety in the Big Ten? Uh, it's it's just a, it's a different mindset than doing it in high school and and having the the tools the, the tools the toolkit that James Franklin saw and his coaches saw. How would that translate? I don't know, but I'm with you. Very curious to see if that would be a move that makes sense for Penn State and for Daniel George. And it's one of the more realistic ones. Another guy I would mention, by the way, uh, Kaziah Holmes. I could see him in the slot receiver. I could, I, 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 something that stood out in his high school film. Um, and, and additionally, when Jaywan Sider was on that Florida Gators staff a long time ago and Kaziah Holmes was a freshman in high school, they offered him as a receiver. And, and, and there's a track record there. And by the way, you want to throw in someone who I'd be very intrigued to play on the other side of the ball. I think he proved that he's on the right side of the ball last year. But Kevon Lee, um, I'm not going to put him on the pedestal of a Devin White coming out of high school because Devin White was just a ridiculous, uh, you know, running a four-four level forty-yard dash at like 245 pounds, and now he went and he started in the Super Bowl and one of the best linebackers in football in year number two. But there's something that 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 kind of reminds me just about the the physical prowess of a guy, whether the ball's in his hand or whether he's running downhill at you from the other side. And Kevon Lee had SEC options at linebacker. I think either of those running backs, if you, if you needed to find a fit for them elsewhere, they could contribute. To me, it would be Kevon Lee at linebacker and Keziah Holmes at, maybe in that slot working out of there. Yeah, and you mentioned running backs here. I was just talking to to Brian Doan a little bit earlier about Devin Ford, and and I know that that his career has not gone, you know how we how we planned it. But you look back at his high school tape, and you know he's playing safety, he's playing slot, he's playing all over the place. He's just got a natural feel for the game, and that's kind of the thing that's surprised me the most about what we saw from him last year is that hasn't come over that hasn't shown up and that's really you typically don't see that some of these guys have these great football instincts and sometimes the the athletic portion of it the physical part of the game catches up to them and passes them by where you're you know you those those uh intangibles can get you so far but if you're not the athlete you know you're going to get run past every time and that's sort of what we that's kind of the opposite of what we saw with Devin Ford is you saw you see athleticism you see you see all these good things and then you you go out and and it seems he seemed to lose a lot of that and that's the concerning part when you're talking about forecasting his career and you know a different position we talked about him possibly playing in the slot before last year because he was the third string running back because he was that complimentary piece okay how do you get this kid on the field to make an impact and it just didn't turn out that way and when he was asked to be a full-time guy just wasn't the guy that we thought he could be in that's kind of how it's gone for him over the last year. So we'll see if that comes around. I'd like to see him put on a little bit more weight and still get his shot at running back. Um, but at the same time, tremendous player, tremendous instincts as a high school player. It just hasn't come along. And that's that's just been weird to watch. I would agree. Nothing looked like it came naturally or, or easily to Devin Ford last year. And um, you know, last we saw him, he put together probably his most impressive game of the season at, at Rutgers and coming back from – a death in the family, and then he was on the shelf, uh, I guess, with an undisclosed injury for the remainder of the year. So uh, really, I mean, that's one of the bigger mysteries on this roster right now to me is Devin Ford, two years into his career. What are you going to get out of him? 
It hasn't come together as a pass catcher. Seven catches for 24 yards last year. That dynamic nature that we that that led me to draft him, I think, in round three of of our 11 man draft, really high. That just has not been apparent through two years on campus. Yeah, I agree with that. It's uh, it's been crazy to watch, and I'm not sure if that's ever going to come around, especially when you take into account the guys they brought in at running back, the guys they have at running back on the roster already. And, you know, kind of the portal has has changed a lot of this in the sense that the position changes are not a thing of the past, but there are more few and far between now because, hey, you want to you, you be in a position where you came in, where you were told you were going to play, where you see yourself as playing. Okay, maybe a coach who might know better or might not know better, wants to try you out, see if you can revive your career. Now I'll just go somewhere else. I'll go to the portal. And certainly nothing wrong with that. I know guys want to, you know, make the most of their situations and do do what they want to do. And that's everybody's prerogative. But at the same time, I think it's changed things in regards to position changes. I think it's changed things in regard to uh, position battles long term. And you got to account for how long this guy is going to be on your roster beyond winning or losing that position battle. So I think the portal has changed some of it. Portal has even changed some of uh, the recruiting aspect. We were talking earlier in the episode about guys latching onto spots. I think the portal really does have something to do with that where, okay, the class is open right now. I mean, you've got a handful, you know, five to 10 commits where you're only going to take 20. Okay. It's easier to hop into the front half of that class than it is to wait around and try to hop into the back end of that class. Now, some of those guys uh, that we had talked about, the singletons and the, the really talented kids are usually always going to have that option. But this is a situation where you saw that window shut on a lot of guys in the 2021 class. And, you know, the portal is really affecting everything that, that happens in college football right now. Um, some of it seems bad on the surface, but I'll tell you, some of it is, is actually good for the competition, is good for the roster building. It's good for, uh, program health and, and really, we that might not show up for a couple of years, um, and I know people are going to complain about the the aspect of you know quitting on your team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I think it's it's one of those things that there are a couple of ways to look at it rather than just what we're yelling about right now. Yeah, the portal just looms over <laughs> over so much in college football right now, um, and and of course in in true Lions twenty four seven podcast fashion, Sean, we sit down, we say this is going to be a fast one. We don't have much to talk about. More than 45 minutes later, we have covered a lot more territory than we anticipated. And oh, by the way, I think the man that, that's in the focus in the 2021 class continues to be Khalil Dinkins uh, about his long-term placement on the football field. We've talked about that. Tight end is the initial landing spot. What might you see as a front seven defender off the edge or at an outside linebacker spot uh, from Dinkins if that were to, to eventually be the case? That has been a question. Brian Doan referenced that when uh, relating to his rating, uh, rating and ranking from 24-7 sports. He ends up as a four-star either way, um, but, but there was some conversation at the higher ceiling might be on the defensive side of the football. So maybe we'll talk about that next year when this same question kind of pops up. Are we going to do another 11-a-man uh, draft later this year? You think think we got to do that again? Maybe. I'm looking at the one we did last year. A bunch of those guys have moved on, whether, whether that's <laughs> Don't read that uh, on air. Let me see if <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's it's but well, I mean, what's our first six picks here? Micah's oh, Michael gone, Friar's yeah. gone, Oway's gone, Walker's back, Menet's gone, Journey's gone, CJ Thorpe's gone, Devin Ford. Yeah, so um, we get to round five and we get Brisker, who obviously would be high up in so the list this year. So, three of the top six picks by the time you're halfway through the season are out of the equation for Penn State. 
Uh, Journey yep. Brown never played. Micah Parsons never played. Pat Fryermuth was healthy for a couple games. We nailed it, I'd say. Just kind of a just kind of a reminder of of, of how things transpired last year. Man, that, that was uh, that was some foresight in July. We did not know what awaited. That's for damn sure. Um, let's hope it's a little bit more predictable Let, this let's time. Let's hope we around. have less time to f- <laughs> let's hope we have less time to fill this year. Yeah, amen to that. Um, and with, with that in mind, I don't think we have any more time to fill on this podcast. I think we've done a pretty good job of that, Sean. Anything else to add before we uh, step aside from this episode? That should be it. All right, folks. uh, Tune in. uh, Next episode, of course, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you can find your podcast. Throw your mailbag into the mix on Apple Podcasts by dropping your five-star rating and review. Check out our content at lines247.com. In the meantime, on behalf of Sean, I'm Tyler. Have a great day.